The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Welcome to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCoon. I serve as pastor of Zion Church. We're a congregation of believers who trust in the simple message of God's sovereign grace, where families come together to worship God in spirit and in truth through the simplicity of preaching, praying, and singing. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. If you live in the Gordo area or if you are visiting in the area, please join us for worship. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and on the first and third Wednesday evenings at 630 p.m. We begin today looking at the letter to the church at Thyatira in Revelation chapter 2. Elder Buddy Abernathy has been preaching a series on Revelation for some time now and has gotten to chapter 2 where Jesus has dictated some letters to seven churches in Asia Minor. All of these churches were facing different problems. Some faced the problem of persecution from without. Others faced the problem of error or immorality from within. And in each case, Jesus gives them both encouragement and admonition and gives them the recipe for how to correct the problem and how to face the troubles that they're up against. You know, these letters are not just for those churches. They certainly apply directly to them, but they apply to us today. And we can see in these letters what Jesus expects us to do in the face of these kinds of problems. The problem at Thyatira was immorality and error from within the ranks of the church. Please join us as Brother Buddy lays out the problem and tells us what Jesus says the answer is. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit.
I want to look tonight at the fourth church that Jesus addressed in the book of Revelation, and this will be found in the second half of Revelation chapter 2. This is uh, the longest of all the letters, and it's also the harshest. Now, as we read through this, especially these hard sayings that Jesus speaks to them, I want you to keep in mind that these are the words of Jesus. This is a letter that he, in effect, wrote. He sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who penned the words of Jesus. But this is what Jesus wrote to an actual individual church. It would be no different than if Jesus himself wrote a letter to Zion Church. If we received a letter from Jesus that was for our church individually, I trust we would really listen to the contents of the letter. Now, the church at Thyatira had some serious problems, some very uh, exceedingly sinful problems. We talked this morning about the church at Pergamos, and I want you to consider these two things in comparison. The church at Pergamos was influenced or enticed by sin from without. The church at Thyatira was enticed by sin from within. The church at Pergamos was referred to as a place where the synagogue of Satan was located. The church at Thyatira was referred to as a people that were delving into the depths of Satan. So in spite of how uh, serious the problems may have been at Pergamos that we looked at this morning, we'll find that they're even more severe to the church at Thyatira. As a matter of fact, I believe of all the seven churches that Jesus addressed, this is the harshest letter. Now we're going to read his entire letter, and that'll take some time, but I like to think about what I heard a preacher say one time. He says, when I read the Bible, that's the one time I know I'm getting everything right. Everything I'm saying is correct and accurate when I'm reading God's Word. And as a matter of fact, in Nehemiah's day, uh, the people stood up and the Bible was read from morning till noonday. So this is nothing compared to what God's people did in the past when it came to listening to God's Word. So Revelation chapter 2 verse 18. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. 
I know thy works in charity and service and faith, and thy patience and thy works, and the last to be more than the first. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts, and I will give unto every one of you according to your works." But unto you I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden but that which ye have already. Hold fast till I come, and he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received my father. And I will give him the morning star. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Now notice as Jesus begins to address this church, he identifies himself as the one whose eyes are like unto a flame of fire and his feet are like fine brass. To say that his eyes are like unto a flame of fire is to say that they pierce and penetrate through everything. You know, it's of no value for you to be anything but open and honest with the Lord because He knows everything about you already. And He's going to bless you even if you're confessing sins. He's going to bless you when you recognize and acknowledge that He knows everything already rather than trying to cover your sins. The Bible says, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but he that confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Look at Hebrews chapter 4. This is a verse that you need to think about often with regard to maintaining an open, transparent relationship with the Lord. Now here in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12, when it refers to the Word of God, it's referring to Jesus Christ, the living Word. And we'll see that as we read. This is referring to the one that John spoke about in 1 John 5, 7, when he said there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. This is the same word that John was talking about in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, about verse 13 or 14, when he says, The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So there's two verses where we know the Word of God can be used in reference to Jesus as in contrast to the written Word. It's unfortunate that most in the religious world will look at this text that I'm about to read and see it as being the written Word of God. But notice what it says. The Word of God is quick. It's alive. 
and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. That's how Jesus described himself, you remember, in writing to the church at Pergamos. He described himself as a sword with two sharp edges. The Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the faults and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. That's what it means when Jesus says, My eyes are like fire, even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. I've thought recently about trying to preach on the soul and the spirit and distinguish them, but when I think about this verse, one of the things that should impress us about Jesus is he can separate the soul and the spirit. So if we're bragging on the fact that Jesus can separate soul and spirit, it might not be a wise idea for me to try to explain what that means. Because if I can do it, it's not so impressive. But to say that Jesus is the one that can separate soul and spirit, he's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of your heart, and all things are naked and open before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Look at Jeremiah chapter 17 and uh, verse 10. I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins even to give unto every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. Jesus tells this church, which has gross immorality within, that his eyes are like fire. And it says also in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 18 that his eyes are like a flame of fire and his feet are like fine brass. This seems to indicate how he can trample in judgment. You know, we often think about, and the Bible teaches it very clearly, that God is love. But you know it says in Hebrews, I believe it's chapter 12, that our God is a consuming fire. And you remember we looked this morning at Hebrews 10 where it says, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord, and again the Lord shall judge His people. He says in that same immediate context, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So yes, God is love, but He's also wrath and judgment. And I want to just emphasize again there in Hebrews 10, when it says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, you know he's, who he's referring to? He's referring to his people. He's referring to those exact same people in Matthew 1.21 for whom it was said Jesus would save 
His people from their sins. That His people that Jesus saved is that same His people that can fall into the hands of the living God under judgment. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 19. He does begin commending part of the church. As we talked about the church at Pergamos this morning, you remember the pronouns were differentiated. When Jesus was commending some in the church, he referred to them as you, and those that he was condemning, he referred to them as them. In like manner here, we're going to see a similar distinction. But there were some good people in the church. He says, I know thy works and charity and service and faith and thy patience and thy works and the last to be more than the first. In other words, evidently, there was either spiritual growth and or numerical growth among those that were truly serving the Lord. That's what he means when he says the last are more than the first. Now this church had a good beginning. Notice in the book of Acts when Paul preached there. Acts chapter 16 and verse 13 Paul says, and on the Sabbath day we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made, and we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted hither. Now here was a group of women down by the riverside praying, and Paul came on the scene, and it says in verse 14, and a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worship God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, and she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. Now let me make a little side point here. Notice, obviously, I'm sure you would agree with me, in light of our understanding as primitive Baptist concerning the new birth, recognizing that a person is spiritually dead until they've been born again. There's no question that Lydia was born again before Paul came to preach because she was down by the riverside praying with other women. No doubt she was a child of God born again, but nonetheless, notice what it says. It says she worshiped God and she heard us, Paul says, whose heart the Lord opened. She was already born again, but the Lord is still involved in conversion. Watch this. Whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized and her household, meaning her family, she besought us saying, If you have judged me to be faithful of the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. When you read that little expression, 
the Lord opened her heart. That establishes the concept that you just can't go up to any born-again child of God and show them the truth. There's not anybody here that's been successful that way, is there? Nobody's come up with a plan and say, man, I figured it out. And on this piece of paper, I'm, I want everybody in the church to have a copy of this. I figured it out. If you find anybody that shows evidence that they're born again, if you'll do what I've written down, they'll see the truth. That's not the way it is. There's always that mystical element that you cannot control. There's that issue addressed here of even though Liddy was born again, it still required the Lord to open her heart, open her mind, and open her conscience, open her perception to the truth of the gospel. See, the Lord does it so that we don't ever get to the place that we brag about all the people we've converted to the truth. Because the Lord's always going to do it in a way that we know He did it. There's been times when I've had perhaps a couple of visitors in the church and I would say, well, I'm sure this one's going to be converted, but this one I don't think they're going to see it and it would be just reverse. See, the Lord says, buddy, you hadn't figured it out. I'm the one that opens the hearts and blesses with understanding. So this church had a good beginning. Lydia and her household were baptized and she constrained Paul to come stay with them in their home. Certainly they wanted to learn more. But look now at Revelation chapter 2, verse 20. Nevertheless, I have a few things against thee. Because thou sufferest, that means you allow that woman, Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. What blows my mind about what's going on at this church as well as Pergamos is for me to say, how in the world does Jesus commend the church, commend part of the church, and then from within the church there's this Woman Jezebel, now I don't believe that was her real name, but he was using that name so everybody would know what she was like. This woman Jezebel, who called herself a preacher. Now this was only about 60 years after Paul wrote to Corinth and said, let, the, let your women keep silence in the church. This was about 60 years after Paul said, I suffer not a woman to teach. This was about 60 years after he had said, in terms of your assembly, he said, in that context, let the women learn in silence. It only took about 60 years before women preachers came on the scene. 
We see that today and we think it's a recent thing. Only took about 60 years. She called herself. You know, I believe this being a letter from Jesus, every word is intentional. Notice how he said, that's what she calls herself, a prophetess. But aren't you like me? You say, how in the world can a true New Testament church be commended and have a woman who claims to be a preacher seducing the servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed to idols. But I started thinking about my own experience in the church. Now, I don't know that I've observed something this blatant. But I know of several churches with serious issues pertaining to fornication. I know a church that has a member that attends every Sunday. And she's living with a man she's not married to. Member of the church. I know of ministers of my generation who I never would have thought their wives would leave them for another man. And yet they have. How does that happen among people that grew up in the church? <laughs> These men I'm thinking of, their wives aren't worldly women. They came up in the church. How does that happen <laughs> in the Lord's church? I know a minister who in his prime found out his wife was involved with another woman. How does that happen? Same way it happened here. See, we can have sound doctrine and at the same time have immorality. It just was more out in the open here. And I say that simply to put in your mind that we're not immune to these kinds of problems. How do you represent Zion Church when you're not here and no one's watching? How do you represent Bethlehem Church when no one's watching? I remember when I was young, I sure enough did some things wrong. But I can even remember this, if I was playing my radio loud and I drove up on the church grounds and there was an old Baptist preacher standing out there, it embarrassed me so much because he saw what I was doing. You know, I don't see that much concern today. And that's the tendency, see, is we are to become more and more tolerant. Due to the constraints of time, we will stop the message here. But please join us tomorrow for the conclusion of this message. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church 
at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J, C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.